Good evening. I'm grateful for the presence of everyone here this evening, and I'm grateful for the opportunity that Brent gave me to stand before you and to study a part of God's Word. I really struggled with this uh, sermon and how to title it. Um, I hate to say random thoughts, but it's, it's really things that I have realized and learned uh, in the past few years that has changed my life. Um, and we'll end with a way uh, to measure our success in living the Christian life that's given to us in the Bible by the fruits of the Spirit and by the works of the flesh. Before we get too far into it, the first thing that, that I guess I realized um, and learned, maybe just learned to take more seriously, is the fact that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Now I know that everybody understands that, everybody knows that um, when they become a Christian, but for us to really consider the seriousness of that and what it means to us um, is something that I think that should be pretty high up on our list. In 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, um, verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You know, if we think about that on a daily basis as we live our lives, it surely will make a difference in the way that we approach ourselves and in the di- or approach others and in the decisions that we make ourselves. We need to give this more than a passing thought because it's a very core of our Christianity. In 2 Timothy, the first chapter, and verse 14, it says, Guard, through the Holy Spirit which dwell in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You know, when the disciples were here with Christ, or the apostles were here with Christ, while he was on the earth, they were very sad to know that he was going to be killed and would be leaving them. But he said it, it was important that he go so the Holy Spirit could come to them because he was going to have more to offer them than what he did at that point. In Romans the 8th chapter, in verse 11, it says, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit which dwells in you. There's many, many more scriptures in the in the Bible that tells us about what the Holy Spirit does, and we're not going to turn and read each of those, but I do want to just name off a few things um, that the Holy Spirit does for us. He teaches us and reminds us of God's Word. He convicts the world of sin. He reveals things to us through His wisdom and power. He guides us into truth. He is a seal for our redemption. He helps us in our weakness, and He intercedes for us. He makes us new and gives us eternal life. He sanctifies and enables believers to bear good fruit in their lives. In all of these things that He does, I I want to notice or to at least discuss that it is done through our cooperation. 
More importantly, our willingness. The Scripture teaches the, the Spirit never comes and forces us to do something that we are not willing to do. In 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, in verse 32, speaking of the prophets in, of old, it said, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. The Holy Spirit does not come upon you and cause you to do things that is against your will. He does not come and cause you to do things that you can't control. There's a belief today that he will do that. And there's many um, denominations that teach that, but God does not operate that way. If he did, the following uh, passages would not be in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, and verse 19 it says, do not quench the Spirit. This tells me that we have the ability, by the choices we make, whether to allow the Spirit to work in our lives or to keep Him from working in our lives. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You know, a few years ago, when I was struggling, I woke up one morning with the realization that I had definitely grieved the Holy Spirit of God because I had taken Him with me to places He did not want to be. I had shown Him things He did not want to see and experienced things that He did not want to experience because He lived in me. And it's a wake-up call. And we do it every day if we're not making deliberately the right choices to forsake sin. Why all the talk about living decisively and the Holy Spirit being in us? Because I believe that we can use the list of the fruit of the Spirit as a barometer of whether we're living our life decisively towards God and also how dangerously close we are from one choice to walking uh, in the works of the flesh. Galatians, the fifth chapter in verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. You know, when I was quite a bit younger, from my 20s through my 40s, there was a very unsettling sense uh, for me that I was not bearing fruit. Because I felt the Scripture teaches, as we all do, that we are to bear fruit. I was intimidated by the fact that I felt at that time that the only fruit that God really recognized was a converted sinner. And I was not doing that. Now while that is important, the scripture teaches there are so many fruits to be born by us as Christians. And are produced by the spirit that we choose to walk in. So I have a question for you tonight. Are you bearing the kind of fruit that you think God wants you to bear? 
I've also had some realizations in my 50s, and so you can call me a late bloomer, I guess, if you will, that I wish I had understood in my 20s, 30s, and 40s. First one of those is that all the fruit that is manifested in us is not produced by us. And that's a, that was a big realization to me because I felt very incapable of producing fruit. And when I realized that I didn't have to produce it, I only had to bear it. There's a difference. We don't produce the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. And we bear it out in our lives. We bear the fruit just as a tree branch holds a peach or an apple or a pear. And you know what fruit tree that is by the fruit that's on the branch. But I would even go so far as to say that the tree doesn't produce the fruit, that God produces the fruit that's on the tree. In Genesis, the second chapter, in verse 29, it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree, which is the fruit of the tree-yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. God set the rules up at creation, and how trees would produce, and how he uses them as an example of how he produces fruit through the Spirit for us to bear. In John 15 and verse 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So I've talked about this, how we bear fruit, but we don't produce it because this scripture says that Christ said, without me you can do nothing. You, without Christ, will not bear the fruit of the Spirit. There's some great truths here, and I don't want to get stuck on the analogy too much. But let me say, the tree doesn't have a choice in what fruit it bears. And, in fact, it may not even bear fruit. But the Scripture teaches us that if it doesn't, that it's useless. In Luke, the sixth chapter, beginning of verse 1, it says, He spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit, and he found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and have found none. Cut it down. Why does it use the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year. Also, until I dig around it and fertilize it, and if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. God put rules in place at creation. Trees were made to bear fruit after their seed, and so were we. If it bears fruit, it will be from the seed type that God chose for it. But plants were not created in the image of God. They don't have a soul, and they can't make decisions. Mike talked this morning about Naaman and the power of one and him being able to make the choice 
And the choices that he made affects people through generations. Our choices affect people through generations. In, Gen- in Genesis, the first chapter in verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Part of that image is that he gave us the ability to think and reason and sort out right from wrong and to seek his truth and to seek him and to give him glory. From the spirit that a man follows, his fruit will be. One of the next realizations that I have is that we don't really have a choice in bearing fruit. That is another law that God put into place. In Romans, the sixth chapter, in verse 15, it says, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one's slaves whom you obey? whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. One of the sad realizations that I had and the thing that really kind of jarred me to the core is that while I worry about not producing fruit, all along I was producing fruit. It just wasn't the kind of fruit that Paul spoke about. It's the same thing in the scripture when um, Christ says, if they're not for me, they're against me. And that's evident in the way that our actions affect other people. It wasn't love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and hope that I was bearing fruit of. But I was bearing fruit. So where was I in the scheme of what the the Scripture says about bearing fruit? You know, every time I heard a sermon on uh, being lukewarm, it made me very, very uncomfortable. I knew for a fact I wasn't hot, as the parable speaks about. God wasn't everything in my life. I was not what I thought cold was which was completely denying God although now I would debate that a little bit differently but where did that leave me and there was only other one other place that Christ illustrated of those choices and that was lukewarm it's funny what you know but you want to deny while you're in that situation In Revelations, the third chapter, in verse 14, it says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you could be cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. What an ugly picture that he paints for us being indecisive which is what that boils down to have you ever seen a a road sign that curves this way and this way you have to go left or right you know the worst place and the worst feeling place in the world 
is to stand there and want to go straight? You want to take your own road? You're scared to go to the left because you don't think you can hold up. You're, you're scared to go to the right because you're, you're not sure what that holds. And so you're stuck. And God never wants us to be stuck. It's a miserable place to be lukewarm. It's easy to be deceived when we're there and believe lies that we reside in that state of being. And it's easy to convince us in that state that we can't go right because we're not worthy, nor can we be successful, and so we go left. We give up, and we take the road that seems to be the easiest. Another realization that I had that has really affected my life for God is that I am no longer my own. Now, I know that that's been in the Scripture since it was written. And I know that I became a Christian at a very young age. Why did I not know that? Why did I not practice that? You know, there's stories, parables in the scriptures of counting the cost. And I don't think I ever sat down and counted the cost. But you know what? If you didn't either, you can count it today. And you can pay what you have to pay. We have a loving God. We have a merciful Savior who is forgiving and gracious and lets us pick up Right where we start, when we're forgiven. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Do you feel cheated that you're not your own? Do you live like you're not your own? The problem with many people in the world today, and with me for many, many years, is that I wanted to be me and be a Christian. Now that's possible, but not in the way that I'm speaking about. Because you can be you and be a Christian if you put Christ ahead of you. But for many people today, this thought process means I want to do what I want to do. I want to be what I want to be. And say that I'm a Christian and that that's okay with God. There's a popular phrase today that says, don't worry, come as you are. He'll take you. And you know that that's true. But what's not popular is that he won't let you stay that way. You can't come as you are and stay that way and be acceptable to God. That was never his plan. His plan was to change you to be like Christ. So there's a responsibility on us as Christians that we don't use forgiveness that we've been given as a way to continue in sin. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, in verse 13, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, 
but through love serve one another. See, He wants us to be changed. Yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we're forgiven when we sin. Yes, we're forgiven when we sin 70 times 7 or more. But we don't use it as an opportunity to do what we want to do. The Scripture tells us we shouldn't have that attitude. In Romans, the sixth chapter, in verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we, who died to sin, live any longer therein? So the way that I am me and a Christian, the way that we're used in that process, is first I am Christ. And the talents that he's given me will then be used for him, for God's glory. But don't make the mistake of putting yourself first. Because we're no longer our own. In Luke, the ninth chapter, beginning at verse 23, he said, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's one of those backwards things, isn't it? Where the spiritual reality and the physical reality don't mesh up. Because the world would tell you, if you want your life, go out and find yourself. Be who you want to be, do what you want to do, do what makes you happy, and you'll find life. It is a lie that Satan started when Adam and Eve were in the garden. If you want to find your life, lose it. Lose your life to Christ, and you will have abundant life and life eternal. In Luke, the 14th chapter, in verse 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. It costs us something to follow Christ. Every one of us goes back to counting the cost. And no, he doesn't mean that you can't love your mother, your brother, your sister, your wife. But he does mean that you need to love him first that he is first in your family, in your friend circle, in your job, in your life. He is first. Is there something today that you have a hard time giving up? Get rid of it. It's not worth hanging on to if it comes between you and Christ. One of the other things that I realized is we have to be deliberate or intentional in our choices. We cannot live unintentionally, meaning we just get up and go through the day doing whatever happens, taking whatever's there, going to bed and starting all over the next day without intending purposefully to use God in our life every day to bless him to thank him 
to worship Him, to talk to Him, to have Him in our life. That unintentional living is being lukewarm. In Matthew 19, beginning at verse 16, it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I've kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now we know that the man was covetous. And we know that God and Christ knew his heart. That's why he told him that. But have you ever just stopped to think about the guy? And all the good that he was doing. I mean, look at all the commandments he named off that he had done since he was a, a child. I think, really, that most of us would say he was living a good life. He was doing a good job. And I think that's how we look at ourselves when we only lack one thing. We're doing all right. If you look closely at the commands that Christ was telling the young ruler about, it would seem like he was exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. That he was not walking after the works of the flesh. But if you look closely, was he? Clearly he had not decided to do everything that he had been asked to do. Covetousness was a problem for him. So you can't pick and choose which desires of the flesh that you want to hang on to and which ones that you can let go of because they don't bother you. We have to give them all up. One of the best things that I learned is the Christian life is easier to live contrary to the lies that Satan will tell you than a life of choosing the flesh. Do you believe that? So you don't have to trust me. Let's go to Matthew 11, beginning at verse 28. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Maybe that's the kicker. Learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, if we say we believe the Scripture, that we think it's all true, that it's breathed from God, 
and we read this, can we really turn around and say that the Christian life is too hard? That sinning is easier? Sinning may gratify the flesh. It may give you the reward today where the Christian life may not be today. But it won't be forever away because God truly blesses us when we make the right choices. Matthew, excuse me, you will realize this, you will fail to realize this unless you do what he says. Take his yoke upon you and learn of him part of what he says to make things easy. I want to illustrate by using the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit how we are just one choice away and that's why we have to be decisive in the way that we live. See if this, there we go. Genesis 5, beginning at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelry, and the like. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, we can read right through that list. We may even call to mind somebody that we know who fits this description. But if we go through it pretty quick and we don't look very hard, we won't see ourselves there at all. I mean, just think about it. Those are really ugly things. Do they have any part in your life? The next verse talks about the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such, there is no law. If we look at this pretty fast, we can see ourselves all over it. Because that's where we know we're supposed to be. But what if we take a really deep look at what all these are? And are they in our life? I knew at one point they were not in mine. In Galatians 5 and verse 24, the next verse says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know what? That's an ongoing process. That, that's my opinion. I believe that's part of sanctification. I don't believe, well, I know 
that you don't come to Christ, obey the gospel, come up out of the water, and all your sins are just nothing, right? I mean, they're gone, don't get me wrong, but the desires, the habits, the stuff that is in your brain that tells you how you're going to react when something happens, it's a little harder. And you can spend the rest of your life being changed by Christ towards what He is in a very enjoyable and blessed way. Verse 25 of Galatians 5 tells us maybe what, why sometimes it's slower than others. If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. So does it sound like the Spirit comes over and takes control of you and makes you do what He wants you to do? Treat it again. If we live in the Spirit, if we're a Christian, let us walk. It's a choice. It's the right thing to do. It's the only thing to do, really, but we don't have to do it. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another to envy. If we're living after the flesh, the Spirit cannot or will not produce fruit in us. That caused me to take a really, really hard look. Why is the fruit that's supposed to be there not there? Do you want to see why it's dangerous not to be deliberate and make the choices we know are the right ones? So these are the fruits of the Spirit. I define the opposites of those. You can put your own definition in there. But I believe they're pretty close. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, but the opposite of that is selfishness, hatred, or even indifference. Fruit of the Spirit is joy, but the opposite of that is discontented, unhappy, and grumbling. The fruit of the Spirit is peace, But the opposite is unsettled, worrying, and fearful. The fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering, but the opposite is short-suffering, quick-tempered, let's say, impatient, quick to judge. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness, but the opposite of that is mean-spirited, unfriendly, and unforgiving. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness, but the opposite is evil, ill will, unkind, and punishing. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness, but the opposite is adultery, fornication, unfaithful, and cheater. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, but the opposite of that is rough, short-tempered, angry, and murderous. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control, but the opposite of that is extreme, all-or-nothing, rebellion, and anxiousness. So what if you don't live deliberately after Christ? 
You see how easy it is to all, to all of a sudden be walking after the works of the flesh? And maybe you have everything down but self-control and you're extreme. So when we compare ourselves to the rich young ruler who went away sorrowful because he wasn't going to give up what he had trouble with, where does it put us? Am I deliberately making choices to glorify God? Do I have a daily plan to seek God by study, by prayer, by putting others above myself, by doing better tomorrow than I did today? We say that a lot. But do we really deliberately do better tomorrow than we did today? Loving like God loves, forgiving, showing grace, being kind. We can't afford to be like the rich young ruler and leave one command on the table. We can't just say I'm a Christian and live like we want to. There's a cost to be counted. You know, there's another truth that it's sad, but it's true. That we will never get it all right while we're here in this body, on this earth. We will at times do what we don't want to do. And there's going to be times that we don't do what we know we should. Paul lamented this fact in Romans the 7th chapter and verse 15. For what am I doing? I do not understand. For what I will to do that I do not practice. But what I hate that I do. We are like that, aren't we? We fall into that category of one of the closest apostles to the way we sometimes live. So in this, look at the fruit of the Spirit and its opposite. Where do you, where do you stand? Are you bearing good fruit? Are you bearing bad fruit? Are you bearing no fruit? The blessing of having the Spirit in us, aside from bearing fruit, is that He will help us. We're not in it alone. That's why Christ said, It will be much better for you apostles that I leave, and then I can send the Comforter. And it was better. And it is better for us. Look, he's in you and you and you and you. If Christ was in Lubbock, we would all be without him, right? But we have the Spirit of God in each one of us. How wonderful is that? Now, if we will rely on him and if we will trust him and we will let him, if we will be willing to follow the nudge that he gives us, if we will go and learn of Christ after we take his yoke, and we'll find that he is gentle and meek and lowly, and that we will have rest. I, I get that, that the choices that I made and the 
depths that it took me to is pretty extreme for the average person probably sitting in this audience. But I want to tell you that it is a hard, hard life. It doesn't start that way, but it becomes that way. And it is way easier to choose Christ and to learn of Him and to be blessed by Him in this life, not just later. The Spirit will reveal the truth to us and He will help us grow. How to be deliberate. What if you're not bearing fruit that you know you need to bear? The Scripture is all that we need, and it tells us that it will make us thorough to be a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. So what does it tell us? Confess our sins. If you're walking in the flesh and wondering why the Spirit is not bearing fruit or producing fruit in you, confess your sins. David said that his bones were crushed. He ached. He was miserable while he held his his sins in himself. But once he did and he received forgiveness, he was blessed by God. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Maybe that's the tough one. Read the scriptures. Maybe that's your tough one. Maybe you don't like to read. Listen to a podcast. Maybe you're not where you can do that. Figure it out because God told us that we need to desire His Word and that that will help us grow. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There's so many scriptures that we can go to and God would never ask us to do something that we couldn't do. Pray. Pray all day. Sing all day. Put away childish attitudes. Be willing for the Spirit to work in you. And expect awesomeness from God. Because He does deliver. I hope you've enjoyed uh, the things that we presented tonight. If you've taken notes... Go home, compare it with Scripture. Be willing to give up the things that's keeping you and God at a distance, that's keeping the Spirit from bearing fruit, producing fruit in you, and put Christ ahead of yourself. It is a recipe for success, the best success in this life and the life to come. If there's one here tonight who has not ever named the name of Christ and would like to be baptized. Or if there's one here who is struggling, um, is having problems making the right choices and bearing fruit for God, and desires the prayers of the church, we'd ask either to come forward as we stand and sing.